Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Freeform Improv in the Dark, the Nightman podcast. In this episode, we talk about Alone, written by Steve Englehart, drawn by Kyle Hotz, in which Nightman is, you guessed it, alone. And in this episode, I am not alone, and I have some of the greatest listener feedback I have ever received, ever, in my role as a podcaster. So we're going to roll the episode right now. And let's get started with the show. Freeform Improv in the Dark. The Nightman Podcast. Hi, I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and this is a podcast about the Nightman comic book from Malibu's Ultraverse from 21 years ago. I am exploring the Nightman series month by month. This is February 2015 that I'm recording, and so I am recording about an issue of the Nightman that was released in February of 1994. And each month I record some thoughts as I do my read-through of my favorite 90s comic, hoping that you, dear listeners, just might enjoy this walk back through time, or you might dig out Nightman comics and enjoy reading through them, walking toward the future. Either way, I'm hoping you enjoy this, and if you've listened this far, we're five episodes in, well... You know what you're getting yourself into. But first thing is first for this episode. I'm going to switch things up a little bit. I normally wait till toward the end for some of my feedback. And I'm going to do... I've got feedback, actually, for this episode uh, that I'm going to be sharing later on. I also have um, a second appearance of The Nightman from this month in 1995. And, of course, I'll be talking about the issue in, entitled... Alone by Steve Englehart and illustrated by Kyle Hotz with uh, Jason Miner as the inker, Dave Lamphere as a letterer, and Roland Mann, my friend Roland, is the editor. But before we get to all of that, I am skipping ahead. Um, I've got some awesome things I want to talk about, and I, I really I just can't keep it in. I, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Now, first of all, I'm going to... Um, totally give shag and david the news scoop this time out that two thors from the ultraverse are on some of the secret wars covers that are oops <laughs> did i do that <laughs> yeah i speaking of the 90s <laughs> i'm not well i'm gonna let them uh talk about it if they want to but um i'm scooping you again shag david Sorry, boys. <sighs> I'm not sorry. No, we got some Thors. Some Thors from the Ultraverse Avengers crossovers. Um, it's cool that we're getting to see Ultraverse-related Marvel characters showing up in the Marvel Universe right now. Just showing that they actually, you know, that the Ultraverse happened. It's a part of the Marvel family, even if the Ultraverse characters themselves 
because of whatever legal reasons, whatever the reasons might be, can't appear, we can still see Marvel characters that were affected by the Ultraverse characters. And so we get to see a couple of alternate Thors that have appeared in the Ultraverse. And uh, it's exciting. It's cool. And it means... See, I'm stuck. Because I don't know if that would go into my Ultraverse collection or if that would go into my Secret Wars collection. And yes, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who likes Secret Wars. I'm the guy who liked Secret Wars 2 and has all of the tie-in comics. Yeah. You know, to my... here, Here's the deal. Secret Wars 2 being one of the series that people kind of look back on. Um, I don't know if disdainfully is the right word. But it probably is, mainly because of the Beyonder and some of the weird things. Like, he's trying to find out what desire is. I mean, he really just wants to know what is desire. He just can't stop wondering and wanting to know what desire is because that's a human trait. And he just doesn't have that. And so he he's desperate to know. He desperately wants to know what is desire. Yeah, I mean, you, you get the point that I'm saying there. I'm not saying it's the greatest comic ever. I'm never going to say that Secret Wars 2 is the greatest ever. What is awesome about Secret Wars 2, though, is that series is a cross-section of Marvel in the mid-80s. You read through that series, and you get all those Secret Wars 2 issues, and then you get the tie-in issues for each month. Four, five, maybe six issues in some one of, one of the months, I think, has six. But as you're going and you're reading through the Beyonders' troubles, you're also getting this cross-section of Marvel. You get to see what are the X-Men up to in that time. And what's Power Man and Iron Fist? What, what's, what's their title like at that time? Captain America, what's he doing? Avengers. That's a big reason why I like it. It also uh, being the second huge Marvel crossover, the first being that Secret Wars and the second being Secret Wars 2, where they just kind of said, well, what if we took Secret Wars and bumped it up to 11? Well, comic books have never been the same since. Comic book crossovers have never been the same since. And as a result, we do have some pretty bloated events like Secret Wars this summer. Anyway, that's all That's all stuff that I'm going to let Shag and, and David uh, you know, reveal to you uh, and give them the scoop here. Anyway, I just wanted to say there's there's something else I'm really excited about, even more excited actually than the Thor thing, and that is that someone found the article from Hero Illustrated that introduced me to Nightman and the Ultraverse that got me hooked on it and interested in it enough to go and buy that first issue and go back and buy those first three issues of Strangers. And uh, so I, I want to just give a shout out to Derek. I, I don't know how he feels since it's on Facebook. Um, he posted on it on Facebook. I don't know how he feels about saying his full name here, but I'm going to just say thank you to Derek. He posted it, and it was weird because I remember the, the picture of the Nightman. That was just how I remembered it, exactly how I remembered it. The article itself was longer than I remembered, and reading through, I'm just thinking to myself again, Wow, this is exactly what 
hooked me. This is exactly what got me interested in this comic. It's an interview with Steve Englehart, and it's almost a full page. I mean, it's two columns of a three-column page. So it's longer than I remember. And, you know, there's this other part that I just don't remember, too. As I think back in, in my memory, it's like someone magically um, took a photo and, and just kind of shopped it in there. And, and Rhiannon being what she is, maybe there is some magic at play here, but I don't remember there being a picture of Rhiannon, but it's there, right there in, in, in four colors, right there. Uh, and it even has a quote from her that I, I just don't remember it being there. It says, even though I am a murdering murderer who murders, does not this murderess bring you the vaunted Hero Illustrated article? Does she not tempt you with her wily wiles? I don't remember any of this being on the page there. Uh, maybe I'm I'm just having a hard time in the haze of memory from 21 years ago. Or maybe, somehow, maybe her magics reached back in time and placed it on the page. Or maybe it's it's possible that um, Derek have a little fun with me. Um, either way, uh, this is why I love podcasting. This is why I love podcasting. This is why I I mean when I when I podcast, I'm trying to bring something that I enjoy and talk about it and have people who are interested in it or who also enjoy it or who could possibly enjoy it in the future discover it and. This is the kind of response back that if I was just reading these comics, I would never have gotten this response. I would never have had someone dig this up for me, scan it in for me, post it online for me so I could see this again. And I really appreciate that, Derek. I just want to say if I was on my other podcast, uh, Welcome to Level 7, I'd totally give you a no prize right now. Um, but I'm not, so I won't because Marvel doesn't own the Ultraverse quite yet. But I will post this on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at, uh, at ultraversepodcast.com slash nightman5. And the, the number five, not the not spelled out, the, the numeral five. So thanks again, Derek, for, for that uh, just awesome, again, the walk down, down memory lane. So now we'll have a word from our sponsor, and by sponsor, I mean someone who produces a podcast that I enjoy and want to share with you. They aren't actually paying me. And as we have said before, I, I would take their money, but um, I won't ask for it. <laughs> because, I mean, let's face it, uh, these are people who uh, they are taking the time to create a podcast. And they're taking the time to create a podcast that I enjoy. So, yeah, they have paid me. I mean, if you want to get down to it. These people have paid me to share this with you. And how they paid it, they have paid with their labor, they have paid with their time, they have paid with their energy, and they have paid by creating something that I enjoy. And how else can I pay it back to them than to pay it forward to you? So, a word from our sponsor. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. 
Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra... Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. And I just want to thank our sponsors, Dr. Allen and Emily, for sponsoring this episode with their hard work and time and all that. And I also recommend you check out their podcast. They talk about some great stuff, and they talk about it in an engaging and great way. So it's time to talk about comics, specifically Nightman number five. Uh, like I said before in other episodes, I was buying this comic book monthly at this time. Uh, there was a point in time toward the end of the run where I didn't buy it monthly, but uh, Nightman was the Ultraverse title that I bought every single issue for before. Uh, I mean, I didn't buy any other Ultraverse comics unless they had something to do with the Nightman. So this was issue number five, and the title is Alone. On the cover, though, the Nightman is not alone. He is standing there with Rhiannon, and he is bound by a net to a pole, and she is teasing him, touching his chin with a scowl, but, you know, you get the impression that she's she's just toying with him <clears throat> as he's bound to this, uh, this pole with falling brick wall around them and both of them are you know staring at each other eye to eye and you know if nothing else this cover tells you exactly what this issue is about it's about Rhiannon toying with Johnny with Nightman and you also know right away if you didn't already this is the Nightman's Catwoman I'm just going to put it out there right now at the beginning this is the Nightman's Catwoman this is uh, it's not the same relationship as Batman and Catwoman, but it's obviously that same vibe. You have one person who just totally is, you know, he's the good guy. He's the guy who's out to stop evil. He can sense evil, and when he senses it, he feels a responsibility to do something about it, to stop that murder, to stop that horrible thing that might happen. On the flip side, you have uh, the bad guy, so to speak, the, the or the bad girl, so to speak, but she's kind of amoral, 
in that she doesn't believe what she's doing is any more wrong than what we do when we eat a hamburger. And you kind of get that vibe with Catwoman, too, where she feels like, you know what? I steal from the rich and give to the poor when I'm poor. And she, you know, you get the impression from Catwoman that she doesn't think what she's doing is wrong. And the same is here with Rhiannon. And so you have uh, the struggle for our protagonist uh, with, in this case, the Nightman. The struggle is if she's doing evil things, yet I'm drawn to her, what do I do? And on the other hand, you have the anti-protagonist, which is Rhiannon in this case, who, you know, if Nightman is supposed to stop her, that's his goal in a lot of their interactions. Her goal in a lot of their interactions is to just plain not be stopped, and not only that, to stop him. Now, we'll get into why, we'll get into some of the... the the motivations and stuff, but her goal is to stop him from stopping her. Not just because she wants to achieve her goal, but because he is a part of her goal. And it's not that she wants to corrupt him, although if she succeeds, he will be corrupted. But it's, it's not that she is just, you know, oh, I'm evil and I'm going to bring you over to my side. Um, no, it's it's that she wants to bring him over to her side because, well... She's chosen him, and we'll get into that now. So in this comic, uh, we'll just, just looking at the, the opening page, uh, before we get into the actual story, um, I already talked about the, who wrote this. It's Steve Englehart, and then Kyle Hotz is the penciler. Title is Alone. I just wanted to say, for some reason, um, they do this. It's a little cutesy for my taste, but the uh, the title graphic, Alone, on the opening splash page, for the circle that would be you know alone for the the zero zero the the letter o it's not a circle not a zero it's the letter o but where the opening would be for that letter there's like this little it's not quite a stick figure it's kind of an abstract stick figure i don't know how to explain it but there's a person in there who's standing alone in the middle of that five letter word in the that third letter that's in direct center this just standing alone so, uh, as usual, I'll be breaking the issue into three acts. Act one is the setup. Act two is the rising action. Act three is the climax and resolution. It's not perfect, and comic books especially don't always fall into that exact uh, act one, act two, act three structure. This one happens to do so nicely for us. But because comics are, are short, they, they tend not to follow exactly the setup, rising action, climax, and resolution, or one of those will get really, you know, is really short. And this one... It does pretty good, though, for us. So Act 1 has this opening with a splash page. Nightman is alone. He is standing outside looking through a skylight. And we are inside. We can see him standing up there. We see his two red eyes. He's looking down at a crime scene that's being investigated by two cops. And the crime scene is pretty horrific. There's a dude lying on the floor. His chest looks like he just got done... Uh, dealing with a xenomorph from Alien. Uh, I mean, it looks like a chest burster has burst out of his chest. We know different. We know it was Rhiannon who was actually coming from the outside in, not from the inside out. But no matter how you look at it, it's pretty gruesome. And the cops agree. It's the most disgusting thing they've ever seen. Nightman, he's standing up there and he's kind of, you know, surveying the scene. 
as they're talking about it. But um, he reveals himself to them and tells them he can help. He uh, basically wants to offer his information uh, in exchange for information from them. And, you know, there's a lot of bluster. The cops, they are cops and they are on the side of the law. They consider Nightman a vigilante and they, they know who he is, but they they're tough, you know, and they're not going to take anything from him. Even when he gives them a whole page of exposition about what just happened last issue. I mean, he didn't have to offer the events of last last issue's plot, but he did. And and in a nice uh, blue scale, uh, actually, uh, artwork, uh, this nice little I like the way that they did this. I've actually used this technique uh, of going into flashback. And I really I, I wish I could say for sure or not, but um, I'm sure I've seen this in other places. But this this is the exact technique that I use when I um, in, in the hedge night, which is my first professional job. This is the exact technique that I use where you have the character's face and the character. There's no panel borders. It just kind of bleeds from one image to another. Um and looking at this, I'm wondering, is this when I first saw it and realized that I was seeing it? Or was this something that kind of jogged it? Um, now, 1994, that's still a couple years before I really got into comics as a writer or anything like that. But, um, yeah, here it is right here. A technique that I have used often <laughs> since the days when I started writing comics. And, yeah, maybe this was it. Wow. Interesting. I, I, it just came to me just now. So... I like that technique, though. Um, they start with a color image of his head, end with a color image of his head, and in between you get the uh, the flashback. And so he gives that flashback free of charge to those cops, and they are just not going to have anything of it. Because these cops are hard-boiled, man. I mean, especially the male detective who's there. He is hard, and he is not going to listen. Um, because he's the night man. So in the end, they reject him, and he leaves to continue his own investigation alone. Because, you see, uh, he was not just trying to get information from them. He was trying to get a closer look at the crime scene. And his uh, circle eye, you know, he has the slit eye and the, the circle eye. And the circle eye is also a telephoto lens. He was able to use that to take some pictures and find a clue in the murder scene. That clue? a brochure for the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. A quick computer search finds uh, that every six years there's a ritual murder with gland removal. And it happens every six years, but there's a break every fourth time where they don't come back and they, it doesn't happen in San Francisco. Uh, he's guessing to throw off investigators. And Rita Diamond, she's in town every time. And then he does a search for... California State Marriage License Registrations for Rita Diamond. There are no entries. As he does so, he has a, a look on his face that basically says, uh, I'm a little embarrassed even though I'm sitting here alone in my apartment with no one around. And then he actually says, why did I do that? This is cyberstalking before the internet was invented. I mean, 1994, that was when the internet was invented. Um, at least the way I understand the internet to be and the way I understand people to have said that that's when it was invented. But, um, you know, he just has that look on his face like he just looked up his old girlfriend on Facebook or something. Uh, why did I do that? 
But he does use that information to, you know, take him to his first place of investigation, and that's to Roger Carrington, Rita's fiance, at least who she introduced him as last uh, when we saw her. Uh, so he knocks on the door at Roger's place, and Roger answers and, and, and recognizes the nightman, and that's no real surprise. I mean, there aren't too many people running around in a suit that looks either, you know, he, he might have mistaken him for Batman, he might have mistaken him for Moon Knight, but really, let's face it, this guy's been around San Francisco, he's had his picture taken, he's been talked about in the newspaper, and then he showed up at the guy's party, at Roger's party, he's going to recognize him. Roger tells him uh, he's told the police everything he knows. And Nightman answers, I'm not with the police. I'm alone. Okay, so uh, that beginning scene, it's nice. Uh, if a bit cliched with that whole vigilantes versus law enforcement bit. However, you know, there's no reason to avoid cliché if it fits the story, and in this situation, it does. First of all, it fits thematically. They're rejecting him. They're forcing him to go off on his own. And this, the, the major theme here, the major idea that we're dealing with is these, you know, this idea of he is a lone character, and he is alone. And I'm going to be saying the word alone more in this hour of podcasting than I will say in three years probably but yeah he is alone he has no one to no one has his back because he's the nightman and he's outside of the law but he's trying to do good yes we've seen it before but you know what that's not that big of a deal if it's done well and so yes the cops are a little bit over the top but it works it works both sides have a point um, you know, they instantly judge him because he's a vigilante, but he tells them, you know, you guys are cops. I could instantly judge you. And he brings up Rodney King and obviously making this a thing of its time, you know, back in the nineties. But at the same time, he's saying, you know, why do you assume that I'm the one who's bad? There are dirty cops all over the place. So he, he's got a point and they almost concede the point but it doesn't matter to them because you know he is outside the law they can't be they can't be or at least as far as this their the speech is concerned as they're talking to him they can't be now we also get um this idea of his telephoto lens and that he's taking pictures you know and zooming in uh, using this telephoto lens in his mask i have no idea how this works um, this is one of those things you just have to say, you know, how does it work? Comics. That's how it works. Because there's no room for, you know, a lens works by pulling light and, and reflecting light in. And, and I don't know ex the exact uh, details. I just know there has to be room between the lens and the thing catching the image. And that lens is right next to his eye. I, there's no room for anything to catch the image except for, you know, in his eye. Somehow, though, he's got something catching the image and sending that information to a camera, or rather a recording device. The camera's in his eye. The, the recording device is on his belt. Uh, how does this work? I don't know. It's 
superheroes, it's comics. Um, and if it if it wasn't there, if if it wasn't happening like that, I mean, we've seen it all all the time. It's just usually when I see it, you know, it's something like, well, Steve Austin, the you know, six million dollar man. But that's because the lens is at the front of his cybernetic eyeball. And then there's something at the back of a cybernetic eyeball catching that information and sending it to his brain. It doesn't matter. It's part of his costume. It's part of the evolution of the Nightman is that he is you know, adding recording devices and he is adding um, tasers and he is adding uh, or, or subtracting rather from his mask. He's taking the nose away uh, now. His nose is not covered anymore. So you have that full um, circle around, around his, his, uh, you know, the lower half of his face. Which, again, as far as costumes go and secret identities go, we, we do have this long, flowing, luxurious hair that just flows in the wind behind him as he's driving his motorcycle. But I also have to add, flows in the wind behind him as he's playing the sax, if you know what I mean. Uh, he is a public figure who has made a public image, and the only thing he has now is the anti-equivalent of of Superman's glasses or the equivalent of Robin's mask uh, covering his face. You can see his mouth. You can see his the shape of his nose. And you can see the length of his hair. Someone's going to be figuring out who he is. We better hope it's not Rhiannon. Now, spoiler, she doesn't figure out who he is yet, as far as we know. But Now, then there's the murder. And this is gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> but um, I have to say, when I first read this comic, uh, the the darkness of the horror here appealed to me. Um, you know, it, it it was gross. It was yucky. It was over the top. And I, I happened to like it. And then you have uh, Rita herself, Rhiannon. Um, who's committing the crimes and, and who's basically a serial killer. And, you know, he, he looks up the marriage license registration. He, he does a search for Rita Diamond and there's no entries. And he says, why did I, why did I do that? And, um, oh, brother, Rita's really got a hold on you, doesn't she? Well, let's get into act two. Act two, we've got some of the rising action here. We, we, you know, it's a comic book. We need to get, we've had the horror, and that's a visual aspect of things, but we need to get some action. So we find out that Roger is more obsessed with Rita than Johnny, and the guy just can't hold it together. I mean, he thinks she was kidnapped. He can't bear living without her. And when Johnny suggests that she might have done something wrong, that instead of being, you know, the one who got kidnapped, she might have been the one doing the kidnapping, that kind of thing. He goes after Johnny. It is bad, bad news. This guy loses it. Rita was the best woman ever. And he's trying to punch Johnny. Nobody's going to take her away from me. And they're falling down the stairs. And you must die. And Johnny tries to take it easy because, as he well, as he says in the narration, it's like she hypnotized him. And I know what he feels like. Ever since she looked at me, I felt the same way. She called herself a priestess. 
but she's still a murderer, a serial killer. And the the ones that she doesn't kill can still be her victims. Talking about Roger here. Whatever I feel for her, I'm going to stop her. I won't be her victim. He's uh, delivering that monologue while he's beating up Roger. Um, pretty, he's taking him down pretty bad. Um, poor Roger. <laughs> so then he looks for clues in Roger's apartment. Doesn't find anything, but he thinks, oh, wait. He sees the keys to the BMW. And, oh, something was strange about that car. He goes back outside, and there's water droplets on the car. But... It wasn't raining. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So he puts two and two together. Roger must have been to the ocean. Oh, Roger said she did. he didn't know where she was, but was he protecting her? Maybe. So he goes home and makes a phone call. It's a short phone call. It's half of a page, eight panels. Basically, hi, how you doing? Pretty good. Listen, I need some advice. Where would you, where would you find crashing waves that can spray parked cars at the national wreck area and the dad knows it's at fort point it's at fort point but you're not asking about that are you and why don't you come over and have some breakfast and johnny says nope i've got a date he hangs up the phone and does some navel gazing he uh he thinks he's sitting there alone he just hung up from his dad who just invited him to breakfast so he wouldn't have to be alone. And he just starts asking him those questions that every self-respecting and self-doubting superhero has to ask. What has being a hero gotten me anyway? And so as he's asking himself that, he realizes there's only one thing for him to do, and that is he's got to go get her. She's waiting for me. I'm going. So he goes to Fort Point. He goes inside to this fort which overlooks the bridge. And there she is, waiting for him. Here I am, Nightman. You're Rhiannon. So we're going to end Act 2 right there. I don't know if Steve Englehart would have ended Act 2 right there. Maybe he would consider going forward a little bit more. We're here on page 14, though. I figure this is as good a place to stop as any. Now, Fort Point, first of all, this is important because it's uh, part of the conversation that Johnny and his dad have. His dad says, you know, the place that you get sprayed by the, the water is Fort Point, but you could figure that out. What's the matter? Are you lonely? Spoiler. Yes, Dad, he is. And Johnny says, maybe, but I'm, I'm glad I still got you. And his dad says, me too. I'm glad you still got me too. I'm glad we got each other. Come on over for breakfast. I can't, Dad. I got a date. And uh, his dad says, well, come on over anytime, man. Any night. And then we get the panel of Johnny thinking. Alone. He's slumped over. He's remembering the good old days. He's remembering spending time with Dad. He's remembering being a star sax player. And being someone who knew women all around the world. And now there's no star. Only the night. And Rhiannon is waiting in it. For him. Now, in uh, the dialogue here, as he approaches uh, Fort Point, he references Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. And he says, Fort Point always looks the same to me. The Golden Gate Bridge arcing above the compound on the last tip of land before Asia. And in my mind's eye, I add Kim Novak jumping in the bay in Vertigo and Jimmy Stewart saving her. 
but it was Jimmy who needed the help, as I recall. And so we have here, uh, for the first time in this comic, it will happen again. We have Johnny putting himself in the place of Jimmy Stewart. Now, San Francisco here as a place is also a character, and it has a it has a, a noir feel to it. And interestingly, I mean, Vertigo and the Nightman also use San Francisco as a you know a character within them. In fact, uh, Steve Englehart actually mentioned this in the article that the the San Francisco as it exists in The Strangers is the real San Francisco. San Francisco as it exists in Nightman is more the San Francisco of those noir those noir movies. Actually, that panel as Nightman is is pulling up on his motorcycle with his cape and long, luxurious hair flapping in the wind. It's uh, the same angle as uh, the the angle you get when uh, Jimmy Stewart is approaching and, and sees um, the, the character getting ready to jump into, the, the Kim Novak character getting ready to jump into the San Francisco Bay to, con- to commit suicide. Jimmy Stewart then runs in, jumps after her, pulls her up, and, and, and saves her life. So anyway... Um, Obviously, we're referencing this movie for a reason. We'll get into it. I also can't help thinking, though, when I watch the movie, I can't help thinking Jimmy Stewart jumping in to save her and pull her out. I can't help thinking about Clarence you know, saving Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life and pulling him out. But anyway, um, he goes into the, the fort. There's um, a cannon and some cannonballs. You know, you get the impression this is a, you know, a nice old place that was... You know, preserved as part of the park and that kind of thing. Um, it's dark and it's old, just like Rhiannon. Dark and old. And so, yeah, she appears. And, you know, I, I have to say, and I, maybe I should have said it when we were talking about the cover, but Kyle Hotz's art in this book, I like the way he draws Rhiannon. I like that he is drawing her as a very attractive, but... There isn't a lot of skin, although there are a lot of buckles and, and leather. This is before The Matrix, so um, he's not drawing her in an overtly sexual way. Uh, she's very beautiful, but not in the same way that, especially in the 90s, where we get some really oddball um, you know, anatomy to some of the women. It, I say, I say oddball. I mean, I should just say impossible anatomy. That's not happening here. She's a beautiful woman. She's an attractive woman. She's an alluring woman. Uh, but she's not drawn in such a way that, um, well, she's not drawn like you would find on the cover of, of Mantra this same, this very same month, which, well, let's just say it's, it is overt. <laughs> so anyway, he's tied up with the net on the pole she's done this to him uh she's ready with the with the net but he carries a knife just for such an occasion unfortunately she also has a cannon that is aimed right at him and that cannon is on a timer he has one minute to escape before the cannon goes off why do you want me dead he says i don't i just want you to prove yourself worthy of me she says if he dies, then he gets to be the second victim to give her what she needs for the next six years. And we already saw the first one. She had two people that she had intended to take their glands, the adrenal glands or whatever, uh, so that she could you know, put that into her six-year rotation, whatever it is that she does with it. 
And he escapes before the cannon shoots at him. And now she's his. And he says, but you're a killer. No, I'm a survivor. And he's going to take her in because, uh, you know, he's got a job to do. She's a murdering murderer who murders. And she says, do you want to be alone? And he says, it's not about what I want. It's about what I have to do. And she punches him and he falls and he grabs a steel cable as he falls off this tower. And she reaches down to help him. And she starts giving him the romantic equivalent to the the fatherly speech that Darth Vader gives in Empire Strikes Back. She loves him. She says, join me, she says. But no, he just takes his taser and his glove and electrifies the cable and it zaps her and she falls past him. Does he go after her? Does he jump down and save her? No, I choose to be alone. But... He's not really alone when he goes home because he has his podcast or, or his pirate radio station. Uh, it's five o'clock in the morning and he's going to play the blues and he's got people all over the city tuning in to the Nightman. So the upward chase, it also reminds me of Vertigo as they're, as he's getting chased, uh, or as he's chasing her, rather. Uh, not specifically any um, scene. It's been a long time since I've seen in, seen that movie. It just reminds me of Vertigo's with the, you know, going up in the heights and everything involved like that. Now, she asks him, uh, must the unnatural be evil? And the answer to that is... Yes, when the unnatural is killing people to extend their own life, Rhiannon. Uh, but it's it's a good bit, and, and we'll get back to that that theme again in a moment here. But um, the canon, it's a little bit wily e. coyote for my taste, but whatever, it gets the job done more or less. Um, now. We have this idea of uh, the Nightman being alone, but then we have to consider Rhiannon being alone for five millennium. Um, she makes it seem like this is the first person in 4,700 years that she's fallen for. He's the one. And then you have this idea. We're, we're gonna, now we're getting back to that theme I mentioned before. This kind of the Galactus problem. Is she evil or is she innocent? Is she an innocent victim even? Is she just, uh, you know, a part of, uh, you know, the, the, the law of the law of nature? She says, I didn't seek my power. My mother gave it to me. She says, I kill to survive. It's the law of nature. She says, you eat dead animals, dead plants. I, I, I do want to add in there, though. I don't eat my own kind, you know, uh, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> she says, I'm one of a kind as superior to normal humanity as you are to normal men. She says, many men have loved me, but you are my choice. She says, we'll not be alone, but we'll be unique. And so, yeah, I mean, is she just lonely? So then she tests him to see if she's if he's worthy of her. And I want to just give you a, a little bit of advice here. 
gentlemen, ladies, if you are interested in someone and you are considering maybe having a relationship with them, maybe you've met them on um, matchmaker.com or whatever, or, or maybe they're just a co-worker that you think is you know, kind of cute, or maybe they're just someone who caught your eye at the grocery store or something, I don't know. If you are thinking about having a relationship with them and their way of trying to decide if you are a good match is to tie you up in a net, aim a cannon at you and give you one minute to escape, run away. When you have passed that test and you are out of that net, assuming you haven't had your head ripped off by a cannonball, or a hole torn into your torso or something. Run away. This is not a good match. This is worse than going on that first date and having them bring out the wedding catalogs to show you what they're interested in having at their wedding. Get out of there. Run away. I don't care how cute they are. Get out. Fast. Assuming you can cut the net open. So back to the um, <laughs> the uh, the movie, the Vertigo, where you have uh, Nightman. He's hanging over the side. He causes her to fall. That page where she falls is page twenty-two. It's a great page. It's a very emotional page. He sees her. She's falling. You get a panel of her and her look of surprise and possibly a look of I've lived four thousand seven hundred years. And this is how I'm going out. And he looks with a look of just uh, despair. There's nothing he can do. He reaches for her. She reaches for him. Their hands, uh, it's, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, the cliche is that you catch them and then their glove slips off or something like that. But this is the panel where it shows her hand reaching for his hand. Uh, the, the tragedy of that panel is she's on her way down. They can't, they're not getting closer to each other, not reaching for each other. They're pulling away from each other. And then you get a nice silhouette of her and her tattered cloak as she falls to the, the splatters of water below. The artwork is wonderful here. And then as he's hanging there at the, at the end of that page, again, there's just the despair. And they use his mask nicely. They use the brow of his mask. It still conveys emotion. And, you know, it's like Spider-Man's eyes that shouldn't be able to grow in size based on how he's feeling when he's surprised and all that kind of thing. But they do it to artistic effect. And, and that's what they do here is that, you know, his mask, which shouldn't be moving with his face, at least as far as I look at that mask, I, I think to myself it's it's more solid. But this, you know, it definitely gives that um, that brow and it gives that look on his face of just what just happened. This is awful. She's gone. And you have this moment where they're, you know, she is asking them to be together. And she is not proposing marriage, but almost. She's saying, you don't have to be alone. You are not alone. I am here with you. I am not going to sing the song, the Michael Jackson song, but I might have just put it in your head anyway. But this moment this page is all about how even if he didn't want to be alone it just can't happen they can't be together this it's it's not right it's unnatural it's wrong it's evil based on you know she's not a good person 
So then you get the this final two pages where he's hanging there and he's trying to decide. He says, I could drop after her, maybe rescue her, he says, like Jimmy Stewart, but then also maybe die. And it's it's interesting because what would a hero do? Would a hero drop into the water? Would a hero run the very real risk in this case of dying against the rocks of the the bay to try and save her? And so his his dialogue is uh, again and again it's up to me. Nobody's going to help me. I choose to be alone. I asked myself who the nightman was, and now comes the answer. Up or down? And then you get his hand reaching up. Uh, 5 a.m. This is the nightman on the air. It's a night for the blues. <laughs> you get the dialogue. You get this old woman knitting. Her husband or is sitting there reading the newspaper. Listen, Harry, that boy's in some pain. And there's nothing for it but the blues, says the old man. Then you've got some, I guess, kids in a dorm? Some sort. And uh, there's a, yeah, I mean, it's a dorm because there's a poster for like a, a fraternity or something on, on the wall there. Who's one guy saying, listen to that. And then you got two workmen who are sitting up high. Uh, it reminds me of like a old-fashioned, old-timey uh, photograph of people working on a skyscraper. And they're sitting there and listening to the radio and eating their breakfast out of their lunch pails. And then you get this nice... Uh, cityscape and that is the end <laughs> wow <laughs> um i'm not gonna play my saxophone for you uh as i podcast uh but i do i can't help feeling you know similar to him uh i'm talking into this microphone you guys are you know putting my voice into your ear holes and i appreciate that and i enjoy doing this and like him i'm doing this because you know, I'm not expressing my pain or anything like that, but I am expressing my enjoyment of these comics, and you guys are receptive to that, whereas he's playing the blues, and they're being receptive to that as well. All in all, I feel like this issue is a great issue. I'm five issues in, and there hasn't been one stinker in the bunch, but uh, this one is a really good one. I like this the themes of loneliness, the idea of these two people who are alone, because of circumstances, each of the acts, I also have to say, has you know kind of a pattern of the nightman reaching out to someone and then pulling back, whether he was rejected or he had to or he chose to. The police reject him when he reaches out to partner with them. His father does not reject him. He instead pulls back from his father. Because this is the one thing where he's alone, but he's not. He does still have his father, and his father has his back. And then you have Rhiannon, someone who he could partner with, someone who he could spend the rest of his life with, someone who can understand because she's also different. She also has great power. She also is cut off from the rest of the world because of that. But in that case, he pulls back himself because he has to. And this is a nice, tight script here. Uh, this is what attracted me to the Ultraverse in the first place. Writers and scripts. 
Speaking of writers and scripts, I can't help wondering, what if? What if someone had to put together that that hostess ad using a character like Rhiannon? Hmm. I wonder. The Nightman in two Eteri Glands. Help! Help! I'm tied to a table in a weird dungeon by a woman wearing leather with lots of buckles and... Psst, psst. Don't worry. Nightman? Yeah, it's me, Nightman. Hurry! Are you going to untie me and let me go? Because I, I have need a better to... plan than that. She wants to remove your adrenal gland and eat it. What? But I... What are you stuffing have into my idea. shirt? Hey! Trust what? me. What's that fruity smell? Trust me. Ah, there you are, my sweets. Now, I'm going to cut you open and remove your glands. Mm. And eat them. Mm. Yum. Wow, your adrenal glands are so sweet, so fruity. Your blood sugar levels must be off the charts. I recommend you get tested for that. If you weren't about to die... He's not about to die. Nightman, have you come to finally join me? No, I've come to finally stop you. Oh, well, these adrenal glands are so good, you really should try some. I already have, because those aren't just adrenal glands. Here, catch! Hostess fruit pies? Yum! I'll never steal adrenal glands again if I can just have more hostess fruit pies. You can have more hostess fruit pies, I promise. In jail. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess fruit pies. Uh, hey, uh, anyone gonna untie me? Please? Hello? So elsewhere in the Ultraverse, uh, in Solitaire number three, there's actually a two-page appearance of the Nightman. It's a uh, two-page origin story, actually. It's something that did get reprinted reprinted later on, but uh, it just gives two pages about who the Nightman is, what his powers are, and giving a nice splash page of him in action. Um, Meanwhile, in this month of February, we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, uh, 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 titles that, that uh, Malibu published, actually. They were they had Firearm, Freaks, Hard Case, Mantra, oh, 14, because Mantra number 8 was a variant, uh, had a variant as well. Nightman, Prime, Prototype, Rune, Sludge, Solitaire, Solution, Strangers, and Wrath. So they had quite a publishing lineup. This is only... You know they're they're not even a year into things here, I think, but uh, they they're already getting up there with a the number of titles. I do want to open before we uh, end this episode. I do want to open the mailbag. There are two pieces of of feedback that I've gotten in addition to the feedback I got from Derek, which was so awesome. Again, thank you so much, Derek, for digging that up. That's that's just I love it. It's awesome. And again, you can see that page that he found at uh, ultraversepodcast.com slash nightman. Five. So opening the feedback, I did get another uh, note from uh, Nathan. 
says, Dear Ben Avery, hi, it's Nate again. I thought I'd drop you another line and give you an update on my Nightman reading. The Ultraverse, Net- Ultraverse Network has been quiet, and I figured you and your fellow podcasters could use some feedback as an encouragement to keep talking about the Ultraverse. After reading issue one of The Nightman, I returned to Chimps Comics in Warsaw, Indiana, to buy the subsequent issues you discussed in your podcast. I found issue two and Freaks number six, which I bought for a dollar each, and the shop had breakthrough number one, but I haven't bought it yet. Sadly, it didn't have issue three of Nightman and no breakthrough number two. This is one of several gaps I discovered. I've gone to several other local shops looking for issue three, but to no avail. I think I'll buy it on eBay if it means paying up to $5 once shipping fees are added. Regardless, what I've said so far has been, okay. Uh, Mangle isn't as interesting a villain to me as Deathmask. I give Englehart credit for trying to do something different, but Mangle looks weird and his origin almost borders on Adam West Batman Goofy. A history teacher who thinks he's a pharaoh or something? What confused me was Mangle seemed to come out of nowhere in Freaks number 6. There didn't seem to be much of a connection to the events in, of Nightman number 2. Are the events in Freaks immediately after Nightman? Would reading the end of Freaks number 5 had smoothed out the transition? I'm going to just um, add in there. I believe so. I'm trying to remember. It's been a little while now since I've read that. But I believe that Freaks number 5 actually does kind of push into that Freaks number 6. Also, it does occur after uh, Nightman number number 2. Regardless, Nightman's appearance in Freaks number 6 was also okay. Didn't like the artwork as much, and while I'd hoped the Freaks and Nightman would have gotten along better, I understand why the Freaks distrust him. Given what I've heard of your podcast, the villains and themes do start to get better. I plan to collect a full run of Nightman. I'm surprised how smartly written these comics are, especially consider they come from a less than impressive era of comics. Your fellow podcasters will be happy to know that I found and watched all the CD-ROMics on YouTube. I kind of wish there had been a Nightman CD-ROMics, too. I'd also like to start reading Prime and perhaps Hardcase, Freaks, Mantra, and Firearm. I misspelled it as Forearm for a second. Haha. <laughs> By the way, I'm loving the uh, Hostess Fruit Pies commercial starring Nightman. It's one of my favorite segments of your show. I especially like the latest one where you subverted expectations and had ne- Nightman's nemesis be the director of the FCC. But he wasn't Cobra Commander like in Family Guy, one of the rare moments when that show was actually funny. I'll keep you updated on my Nightman reading. Keep up the great work, Ben. Stay ultra. Live long and prosper. You're bro in Christ. Nathan. P.S. In case your listeners are interested, they can check out my website, NathanJSMarchand.com. Follow me on Facebook and watch my YouTube show. But I digress. And I do want to thank you again for writing in. Nathan, again, this is the kind of stuff that I love doing podcasting for, is just the back and forth and um, and that kind of thing. So uh, I do have another thing from um, a listener named Dustin. He says, hello, just discovered the network last week and enjoying all the podcasts. It would be nice to hear a stranger's podcast, my favorite Ultraverse book. Anyway, the Nightman podcast is excellent. The Hostess Cream Pie ads are a perfect addition. I haven't reread the Nightman since I was a teenager in the 90s, but I can clearly picture some of the pages you are describing. That's a compliment to your description and the material. I met Derek Robertson and even got a Nightman sketch from him. There's a picture of it on my Instagram feed. My username is Dragnek, D-R-E-G-E-C. He had some interesting things to say about the Ultraverse, but I don't know if he wants them shared publicly. Keep up the great work. Dustin. <laughs> Thanks, Dustin, for the, the feedback. And I have to say, um, honestly, I would love also to have a Strangers podcast in, in the network here. Um, to be truthful, I, there's almost any Ultraverse title that I would love to hear a podcast about. In fact, I can't think of anything from the Ultraverse that I wouldn't like to hear a podcast about. But I'm uh, sticking with the Nightman here at the Ultraverse Podcast Network. And over at Comic Book Time Machine, I'm going to be taking on Sludge 
uh, you know, a handful at a time. But back to Dustin, that sketch uh, from Derek Robertson, that is sweet. That is so cool. Uh, the long flowing locks, especially. Uh, Derek Robertson obviously created the the look of the character, the initial look of the character. I I feel like he really you know deserves a lot of credit. Kyle Hotz kind of defined the character for me. I I think he, when I think of Nightman, I think of Kyle Hotz artwork. But that first issue, especially of the Nightman, that artwork is really good, and you know that sketch is is a pretty awesome too. So. Again, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate that. Uh, we all do here at the uh, Ultraverse Network, uh, and especially here then at the Nightman Podcast, Freeform Improv in the Dark. I just want to say um, thank you for listening, and we welcome any feedback from you. And, yeah, beyond that, I really just have to say that I do wonder if uh, he should have jumped in after her to save her the way Jimmy Stewart did. Because... The truth of the matter is, rescuing a suicide who's jumping into the San Francisco Bay, like jazz and crime fighting, it's all just freeform improv in the dark. issue nightman takes on his first supervillain team the menace of tntnt yeah it's a real thing trust me it's it's better than it sounds this podcast is a proud member of the ultraverse network at ultraversepodcast.com